uh, that's like been most of my watching recently has been only like, all right, do I like this anymore? No, Top Gun's not good. Okay, Adventures in Babysitting is 50-50, but I'm never going to watch it again, <laughs> like sort of thing. Right. I feel like if I went back and watched a lot of those, they may not, you know, I might be like, oh, I should have just left it as is. Gung-ho. In the way totally works. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Uh- <laughs> I read an article. T- I read an article. Like, it's weird you brought it up. Um, I read an article. Um uh, like maybe a week ago yeah, uh-huh. that you read an article. Okay, yeah. <laughs> where's like, this gonna go? No, no, no. I, no, I, I, I want to see. Yeah, yeah. You read an article. It? it was an article. Since you can't see Matt, he's wearing a hat and he's not making eye contact right <laughs> yeah, now. So which... I'm waiting for this to either go into Californication, <laughs> right, right. Maybe uh, uh, try to Mopo. try to get. No, 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 get... no, 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 no. Um, I read an article, and it was totally a real article. And it was just, I just happened upon it and this conversation brought it up that there apparently Adventures in Babysitting is retroactively bring, being included in the um, official canon of the MCU. That, that was my joke. It's, it's, a, it's, it's like a... It's a little, <laughs> What a long walk to get to. It is weird. I mean, that was I mean, that was one of the things that sold me on that movie when I was younger. Uh, just the fact that they were using Thor because I just thought it was just like, what a weird intellectual property. I did phrase it in that way then, but like, I was like, Thor, all right, they know something uh, for some reason. Um, yeah, I'd love to see how Elizabeth Shue works into uh, the MCU. Um, I think this is going to be great. I'm glad you read that article. I'm impressed <laughs> that was not about the Chinese. Uh, well, the problem with this movie is that. Hold on. Before you talk about the movie. Um... On that, uh, oh, is that how we do it? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> but before we talk about the movie, I say, welcome to Docs Till Death, the podcast where old pugs talk about old pug documentaries. My name is Jeff Garlock. I'm Pete Zetlin. I'm Matt. Fucking Morahan. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> The Chai Pep himself, Matt Moore. <laughs> so and, we don't yeah, need to so, talk about the. We don't need. I don't need. We know this is a quality movie, even if you guys don't think it is, because I don't need to. Find wait, you guys who? Me and Pete or the world? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyone? Okay. Anyone? Okay. Wow, all. we're just starting off aggressive. Yeah. And combative. My okay. name is Vic. My name is Vic Bondi, and you don't fucking get it. <laughs> um, it's about revolution. It's about no. fighting. But I don't need to make some connection to the Chili Peppers because this movie does it for you. For me. <laughs> you mean just because Flea shows up? <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they showed the big boys for two seconds. And there was DOA. Was, and you're like, all right, funk punk. Yeah, cool. And, I, and DOA was in there. And all I could think of is Anthony Kiedis' DOA shirt. Yeah. That is true. To hell and back. Uh yeah. So wait. Yeah. So what are we? What are we watching today? American hardcore. Um, Welcome to American hardcore. <laughs> the documentary that you thought that they couldn't shove everything in in ninety minutes, uh, and maybe a little bit of nothing. They apparently too. did. Yeah, they, maybe they did. I don't know. Maybe they did it. I am not positive. After we um, yeah. It. So we watched American hardcore. It's a two thousand six motion picture. It was based on. 
Steve Blush's book. Um, Steve Blush uh, wrote it, American Hardcore, the first volume of it, or the first the first edition of it in 2001. He updated it in 2010. But Steve Blush is um, a New Jersey native, and I think he actually became the oh, manager really? and tour manager for No Trend for a while. Um, yeah. Um, so he's got his bona fides and then, so, but he made this, he made this book and it's basically like the first in what has become like a very long series of like oral histories of punk and hardcore. No, he didn't do the first, please kill me, I think is an oral history too. But like, it's the one that that mattered the most to me when it came out. Like there was the first about hardcore. It wasn't about like, have you ever heard of the voidoids? (laughs) Like it's like, yes, we all have. Yeah. Yeah, or The Clash, this fucking band. <laughs> I'll most, tell you when life changed for me. Ever heard of a band called The Clash? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. So Dave Grohl, the- how'd you show up with this? <laughs> Dave Grohl did not show up in American Hardcore. I was shocked. I was, I'm, spoiler, I was shocked for the whole movie that Dave Grohl did not rear his ugly head, especially when Scream shows up. Right. And um, I was like, really? You're still not getting Dave Grohl in here? King of the talking head. Okay, sure. But the last thing I'll say is this movie was made by Paul Rockman, Rackman. I don't know what he was. Or, you know, Ricky's brother? Yeah, Rick, except for being Ricky's brother. Apparently they collected footage for this movie for five years. I know a lot of it was the directors too, right? Like he said a lot – I think I read a lot of the – a whole bunch of the live footage was just stuff he took anyways. Is that like right? Back in the day, yeah. So I was like, okay, that gives some – I, I didn't right. hear that. The, the footage is the some of the footage is really cool. Um, I think besides like, decline, this is the one that has some of the best footage. Like the yeah. and and is like a theme that I'll want to get into while we're talking about. But there was this is the, this is the first time in one of these for a while that I was just like, oh right, like I love hardcore and hardcore footage. Yeah, the footage was awesome. <laughs> like, but okay, so it was it was weird to watch it with uh, more of a critical eye because I definitely seen it before and probably watched it a whole bunch before, but we've already made our, you know, requisite Dave Grohl jokes a whole bunch, but it also was partly because we've watched a bunch of documentaries for this already. It was, it was uh, the closest one where I was like, Oh, I have to like, remember that this is one of the first that it, might as well be mm-hmm. the the class joke where you're like there's there's a surprising amount of like you got to understand have you ever heard of this band the bad brains right. and i'm like yeah i mean we've gone over this haven't we like there's not a huge amount of surprises and the, and this is again one where like i you know uh i think we maybe we talked about it with all ages but this is one that i was watching i was like well yeah is this made for the casual punk listener or for the mm-hmm. hardcore, hardcore fan. Uh, I, I do think it's kind of split a little bit more, but not as like so drastically. I think it does a pretty good job of giving you the large overview. But it was a weird watch where I was just, you know, especially as like a 42-year-old man who spends too much time right. thinking about the history of this stuff where I was just like, yeah, I mean, I've heard these stories. Yeah. How, how deeply is it part of your kind of like knowledge base for hardcore? That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, like or and 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 how much is it? It felt like the equivalent of it, or is the closest one so far to when it will be like, oh, did you see that? Like, Epics is doing a documentary on punk, and you're like, well, I don't really need to watch it. 
because I think they're just going to tell me who the Stooges are. Like I know, I know it. Like I don't need, and it's it. This is the closest one that would be where my wife would be right. like, "We've watched this before, right?" Like twenty times over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, I've just watched other hardcore documentaries, right. and you've just heard the same stories. Like this is the fiftieth version of Straight Edge, or this is the fiftieth version of Boston are a bunch of jocks, or whatever, what what have you. And so, like, there, there was kind of weeding through how much was me being, like, not cynical, but just, like, uh, you know, too informed, just of watching too many of these, where I was like, is this like I'm watching the VH1 special on Hardcore, or is this, like, a legit, like, information uh, delivery system? Yeah. I think it, I'm trying to, like, remember what my reaction was. I liked it then. Um, and But, like, watching it now, it did feel like a little it did feel a little cursory but i don't think at the time i don't think the book definitely doesn't feel like that way at all for me because even like i still like we've had conversations about stuff and like i'll go back and like i think i remember this like little anecdote but so so like the book is laid out by region where this i wasn't quite sure what the organizing principle was right um except for like cool stories and a band here and there but i think with the with this it took like 20 minutes to get to what, where I was like, oh, maybe this is what the structure is. Right. Like, I had forgotten, and I think it was... Because I was like, we're starting in Orange County, or we're starting in, like, Southern California, but I th- like it seemed like they were drawing, like, from this came D.C., and then out of D.C. came... Bo- it was like drawing the singular line of how it moved from there to there, which also allowed them to just kind of cover their bases... For every single scene. But that is what I, I think a little boy you're already saying. It's just like the book is just so – it's just like translating yeah. any book. Like it's hard to like translate all of that information and interesting stories and make it essentially a 90, you know, 100-minute documentary right. and not feel like – Right. Like I had whiplash at certain points where I was just like, whoa. I like kept writing down like we're done with Chicago. You know, I had seen this – I don't know if I saw it the year it came out, but um, but I also think watching it for the purpose of this makes me, you know, like I'm focusing more on sort of like the different characters, the way the layout of the actual movie and, and all of that. Um, so I am definitely watching it with a different eye than just sort of appreciating, you know, the bands and seeing footage that you wouldn't see and, you know, the Ian, the Ian interviews <laughs> – Vic Bondi losing his mind, mm. <laughs> but I also like I Vic Bondi. Then, like, I probably was probably like, okay, this this guy's a character, but it didn't really resonate without seeing the Chicago one that we watched right. uh, and seeing sort of like, oh, this guy is consistently out of his gourd all the time. Um, so basically, he was calmer in the Chicago one. Oh, <laughs> much calmer, much calmer, especially with the Albini story. But yeah, this one, I just wrote down that quote where it's like, where he said it's morning in America, and he's like, it's fucking midnight. Uh, <laughs> that was insane. I just kept rewinding it, and I was like, I gotta watch this again. I just picture later that night he was laying in bed going, "Good line, man. <laughs> like yeah. he nailed that one." But I do think that I mean they're trying to cram a lot in and. And I don't know – like I agree with you, Jeff. I don't know – I don't think it it's made for like a specific fan because it tries to put too much into it because you're getting to every region. 
and they only are able to touch upon like very little of Texas, which, you know, you could go into a lot more about big boys and, uh, sure. and MDC, but, um, but then big brain, uh, big brain, bad brains sort of like takes over. <laughs> Pete thinks they're called big, big brains. <laughs> you learn nothing. You know anything about hardcore. I, uh, he does. He, he's, I'm sorry. Let me pull my pants up. But I think I got distracted. Pete, he was looking at my big brain. <laughs> So they take, a, they take a deep, they take a deep drop, dive into <laughs> bad brains. They take a big schlong into. Uh, but that is like weirdly justified. Like I mean, like yeah. I, I get it. That I mean, it, it's. But it, I am agree with what you say. It's weird because like I would be like, what do I want out of this? Like because there would be times where I was like, well, I can't. This isn't the bad brains documentary like this has to be everything which i do think is just gonna be ultimately its flaw my uh, my first like page or two of notes i was like realizing i was like am i taking any notes right or am i just writing down who is there that's what i was doing (laughs) because i think and yeah because it was like i also i could fill in the blanks of what they were gonna say at the beginning anyways like i was like all right keith morris is gonna come on and he's gonna be like this wasn't fucking for the normos man this is fucking me and it's just like yeah but he was and and you knew vic bondy was gonna be like fucking yelled about it's midnight that was such a great balance so i loved it i loved how they did that because it was it was just like they just played off really well but i I did like that but i think it that's the hard part it's just like it was it was until I was like, oh, this is what the structure is, I would be, like, flummoxed. And I and that's where I also would love to know if someone doesn't know anything about hardcore, does it? Does the kind of structure make sense because it's trying to cover so much? Where I'm watching it and it's like, you know, you get to DC and you're like, whoa, you're past DC and you're not going to talk about straight edge? Right. Like, that's crazy. And I was like, maybe this doesn't talk about it. And then it came back with that reverend. I was like, okay, this is the structure. I also think that – I think if we look past it, this is this is episode seven. If you look at all the ones we've watched, there's always – it feels like there's a clear sort of theme. Like the movie starts out in a certain way, but then we're always like, oh, this could have been a documentary on Bad Brains or it could have been a documentary on – the lead singer of Sleeping Giant or, Praise. you know, whatever. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Uh, there's always like, it seems like they take, they decide to take a focus on something a little bit more. Um, this one, there's just, there's so many bands, so it's hard to it, know. Yeah. But that's, I think, I think that's the point here um, in a certain way. Like, I think what the point of this movie ultimately is, Pete, like, it's, it's canon building. Because of like how little connection there was from that first generation of hardcore bands to like what we were probably third or fourth generation in the mid to late 90s going forward, when we started identifying with hardcore, that first generation was in large part not identifying with it. There were some people who were. But watching this movie, what became clear were, no, these were, these are at least 
for the people who are featured in these movies who are being identified as the central players. Sie- Siege isn't in here. Deep Wound isn't in here. You know, like, um, and they weren't in the Boston documentary either. Like, Void doesn't appear. And so Void still has this aura of, like, the band that was, like, this mysterious band. And is that because, I mean, and this is an, op- an open question for me, is that because those guys never show up in these documentaries or is that how they were perceived at the time? You know, like, right. so there was, so a lot of this is a long way of saying, I think what this movie is, is doing that I think is, do, does it quite effectively. And the book does even more effectively is canon building and situating who the major players are within the hard, the early hardcore canon. Yeah. But they make some strange choices. Like, so why go on a deep dive about mugger or why do, you know, like, right. I feel like there was a highlight on, on his whole thing, mm-hmm. uh, Flipper got like a pretty, you know, like were highlighted more than other bands. That seems strange. Like, I it was weird to me that like someone like the Dead Kennedys aren't even even mentioned like at right. all. Like, obviously, sure. there's like they mentioned they played was, uh, at Mabuhay Gardens, and that's but I think yeah, that's like, the I, thing. It seems strange. Like maybe it's just like they couldn't get them, but. I don't see why why they wouldn't do you it. Can't mention them in passing. I don't even think they mentioned like there was one guy. You're right. I didn't even think about that. I think Brandon, the guy from Doctor No, was in Dead Kennedys um, when I looked it up right. because I was trying to figure out, like why aren't they ever mentioned? Yeah. Yeah. Why is he in yeah, there? They by do the way, do not go on a deep uh, Nardcore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not enough. Really never come out. Not uh, enough. Not enough Nardcore is my document. It's a little bit. Part of the question, I think I'm maybe con- maybe we've brought this up for, but maybe even like continually just asking myself as we even do this uh, podcast, but also thinking about kind of music history is you know we make fun of it a, a kind of a bunch, but it is that like common narrative and trying to weed through like one. Are are some of these bands like talked about because they are important or because like and they need to be talked about or because somehow it's been created that we need to talk about these bands? There's like the list of 10 bands. And if you're doing something about hardcore, you're doing something about punk. And that's why, you know, it's 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 easier to stomach with hardcore because we just don't have as much. And I say we as the subculture of specifically hardcore because it's like. You know, I don't really need to watch another punk documentary. Much like most of the time, I don't need to watch another metal documentary. Like, I don't really need to hear. It doesn't stop <laughs> me. I do it. Like, I j- and, and same with, like, biog- Like I just read Rob Halford's biography. Uh, but at the very least, that's from his mouth and will give me actual insight. But it's like, I don't need to hear about how important Led Zeppelin was and how even like Black Sabbath still probably one of my favorite band, but like, I don't really need to hear about Black Sabbath anymore. Like maybe the Dio years just cause it's something different. And so even with American hardcore, it's hard to, I mean, again, with punk, like I don't ever need to hear about the clash. Like I don't need to hear about the sex pistols anymore. None of us do like literally none of us have to hear about the sex pistols or the Ramones ever again, possibly canceled. Um, that being said, like with hardcore, it's a little bit the same. Like when you brought that up, like of course minor threat should be talked about. That's part of it too. Is throughout this, I would be like, there are bands that are proving they're living up to their hype and their stories with the footage that we're seeing, and then there are other ones that I'm like, yeah, they're fine. Like, and then they'll show Void for two seconds, and you're like, whoa, like Void looks insane. Right. But that's the other part too. It's like trying to weed through how much is me being. 
tired of the consistent narrative because I, I've just heard some of it too much. And in this, is it needed to go in that deeper dive? But I, I'm always hard-pressed not watching and be like, can't we go down that Neos? Like, or can we go down that void side alley? Like, you just showed me Poison Idea for two seconds. I know, right? Like, like you, I'd love to hear about more Poison Idea. They're interesting. Like, yeah, they should be featured. Like, they're not, yeah, like, and that's weird. Like, there's, like, that double sense of, like, they're part of this canon. They belong in this canon. Right. But then, like, why are they not, like, it's not like those guys, I don't I don't think those guys are, are those guys adverse to giving interviews? Like, I think the interview. It's possible. Maybe Pick Champion was just like, fuck it. I got a buffet to go to. I'm not doing this. But, <laughs> like. But I do think – and it's like it, – it's hard, again, to weed through like almost – there's the narrative of music and then there's also kind of the narrative of how documentaries about music or or documentations about music because, you know, you mentioned Siege and Deep Wound. And like for me, I feel like they only showed up in the narrative when like Choosing Death came out. Like, the the improbable history of, like, Grindcore put out by, like, the Decibel guy. Like, and that's, like, the first time where they're like, by the way, like, they're important. Like, like the Blast Beat exists because of Deep Wound and Siege. Like, and Repulsion. Like, and, and Repulsion is also, like, a band where sometimes I'm like, is the narrative almost overtaking? Where, like, we all love Repulsion maybe even more than... Not, I like Repulsion, but more than we should. I keep kind of whining around the same thing, but there is a bit where... I don't know. I, 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 I'm I like, do I need more Rollins? Like, you know, telling me what Black Flag was all about. And I know for this, you do. Like, obviously. What do we learn about Black Flag that we didn't get in decline of... Like, what do we what do we hear about them? We hear that... I'm just like trying to go, actually just like walk through it. Like you, we learned that they were poor, but you got that. We learned a little bit more about the church. Yeah, it actually is a weird piggyback off of decline. Right. And and the same like right. it, it it puts more context in. That was one of the pluses I would say is like it that out that it gave a context to like oh the church wasn't just some random place they stayed at. Right. It was an epicenter briefly for this very subset of LA. Let's touch on very briefly, like you. Very yeah. well. Decline's also giving a, you know, in the, in real time. You know, it's like happening right. then. Sure. And you're only getting a picture of specific to to Black Flag. You're getting who that band was then. Obviously, Rollins wasn't there. And now you're getting sort of like a, you know, retrospective look at it. Yeah. But that is the thing. I mean, it's what you like. We don't like. Even in 2006. Because now I'm like, oh, when did Get in the Van come out? In the 90s. Because, like, that's the thing. Like, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't need, and again, I guess that's for who the audience is. There's some extent of, like, the minute he's, Rollins, and, and, and uh, the minute Rollins starts talking about, like, I could work my job at Baskin Robbins, but then Ian told me to do it, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it is a good story. That's the important, it is an important part of Black Flag. But even at that point, even though there hadn't been as much, I don't know, kind of documentation of this stuff, I was like, I've, I've heard this right. story 20 times over. Um, we get a new insight right. of Kira. That, yeah. I thought that, that was, was interesting. That was something that was breezed over way too quickly. I mean, that was, again, like, this is a movie where, right. like, it's basically, 
they just want to kind of show you all the different sort of uh, light that refracts through the prism, you know, of hardcore and all the different things that you get out of it. But like, I mean, this is a moment where you got to give a, even a little more credit to the Boston hardcore documentary for spending like two minutes rather than one minute on the issue of the treatment of women in hardcore. I mean, like, so you could say, oh, well, this movie is just trying to touch a lot of different things that, you know, it's, and it's, it's not getting too deep into them where it's like, the more you learn and the more you're around and the more yeah. you watch these people, you're like, misogyny is probably, you know, like it's not, it's not, it's if, if you're going to give an equal proportion to how prevalent it was in the scene, you know, you got to spend a lot more time on it. Uh, because uh, it is the sausage party quality of this shit, yeah. you know, is like it, the, it's, it's, it's intense. Yeah. And it does. And get, it deserves more feature, right? Of, of time. But again, that's the that is both the uh, it's the plus and the minus of American hardcore. Like, is that right. you are getting the broad overview, and the broad overview with a little bit more specificity, and a specificity at that time of of like a section of punk leading into hardcore that, or, or you know, of hardcore that wasn't covered as much. But again, it, it's it's hard to not feel. Short change on the the topic of women in hardcore. Um, again, straight edge just as a thing was just like in and like it's like boom, here's this, boom, there's that. Uh, now we're off to the Midwest, and then, oh, well, now we're in the South. Oh my God! Like we're talking corrosion of conformity. Before we do that, like so, we didn't even set it up. Kira from Black Flag talks about joining the band. And then basically, like playing the music for the music, like you know, playing along to new recording. I don't know how, when exactly. It didn't make. It wasn't quite clear when she discovered, but like she realized right. she was recording <laughs> bass lines for "Slip It In," um, right. and she's like, "Why am I playing this music?" Um, if you like, why am I? I think she said she had seen the cover. Even the cover right. is, like, yeah. And it was just like, oh, I don't know about this. The but, cover has you know. the nun on it, so it's kind of weird and gross. But the song itself is gross. Mm-hmm. Like the song is is an embarrassment yeah. in a certain way, you know. Like, um, yeah. And so she asked, like, I don't know if she ever asked the, the band, the rest of the band, or she just kind of asked herself, why am I with these guys playing music when they clearly hate me? <laughs> seem like they yeah. hate women. Yeah. yeah. And, and was she out of the band at that point? No, she was in. No, the, or she? No, she, no. I mean, did she leave a, after that? Uh, but no, she she kept going. Okay, I wasn't you sure know, in there. Um, yeah, and it is hard because I think that's the other. I mean, here's the other thing: is like it ends up being that is just the downside of this style of documentary. If you're trying to hit too many bases, like this is the opposite of Christ Core. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Where it's like Christ Core just like hit the nail into Jesus' hand over and over. <laughs> but like over and over, Christ Core. Um, but, uh, Palm Sunday, everyone. Uh, but, no, but I think like they just like like hemorrhaged us on two bands and didn't understand anything. And in this case, it was a bummer because not only that, I'm like sitting there going like, all right. Like, we only really hear about Kira in the section about her, like, women in heart. And while there were, like, we don't ever really even get to talk about just beyond the fact it's like, wow, it's pretty crazy Black Flag had, like, these two unbelievable bases. Like, that's what I kept thinking about. I was like, you went from Dukowski to fucking Kira? Like, they're both really fucking great bases. Like, just, like, the musicality of both of them is fucking unbelievable. 
uh, and and Kira's always been one where I'm just like, oh, she's just so fucking, she's great. Uh, but and then it got, like the story of her just gets reduced down to that, uh, and then interwoven with the the Boston women, like well, who we heard about too. I think that sort of is it in a nutshell in some ways in that you know the the movie's not clear in the beginning like it, it's it starts out that like you know this movement was uh sort of a Reagan's coming to power it's it's kind of against that and what was happening in the 80s with people kind of like returning to the sort of like preppy lifestyle you got to understand what was happening at the time Pete <laughs> you got you know they're saying it's morning in America it's not <laughs> but so there's that of kind of like okay this is Okay, maybe this is what hardcore is. But then as the movie goes on, you're getting these different insights, which they can't really go into about, okay, it's a political thing. But then it's, okay, it's a, I, I'm against sort of like the jocks and this is the place that I found and this is where I came to. <laughs> then it went into sort of like, you know, then there was, there was like MDC and he's like, you know, he's like, I'm gay. Like that, that was like, totally different than what anything else and they couldn't go into that either like yeah that in itself would have been an interesting deeper dive to to hear don't about have any time that- to talk about how mdc is the only band that played fiesta grande in this entire documentary but whatever it's cool you know they just go right past <laughs> it <laughs> so there was that and and uh and i think then it sort of gets deterred by some of the sort of like the the crazy characters like you know you've got You've got Mugger. You've got the TSO. Oh, I've got Mugger. And then they throw in like, like I don't need to hear about Moby or like that. Was he the singer and flipper or not? And I don't need to know about like, you know, they've got uh, the guy from Guns N' Roses. It's kind of or Flea. Hey, man, he was in the farts. He was in the farts. I mean, huge. You still get those cassettes. Uh, You still get those cassettes. (laughs) And maybe that was more for like. You know that's going to bring people in because you've got these bigger names. I think the something. Moby thing's a selling point. I think at the time it was like I think the Moby thing. I is bet a you they point. even. I bet you legitimately it got promotion money, like it helped production wise, like just to have that little bit of a clip in there because it's just like we got Moby, like he's kind of huge right now, like you know, and he's talking shit about being a flipper. So <laughs> doesn't weird. mention Vatican commandos at all, but whatever. It's very rare that when people just talk about hardcore directly they, in this movie, especially that they make a coherent point or they make like a point that like, and Pete, you're just getting at that. But these moments where like Kira questions or you see someone like who's in his like late thirties, like Moby making lying about his in, interaction in the band. You're like, Oh, this is like, this is painting a picture in a way that Vic Bondi saying it's not morning in America, it's midnight. Like that doesn't do anything. It does actually. It tells you who he is and the kind of character he is in the scene. But like, there's a weird like that that thing of like everyone saying they're against Reagan. It doesn't mean anything. Right. It's so ubiquitous. It's 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 so trite and it's it's you know it's so inane. Like yeah, everybody did this. But punk rockers love to hate. Ronald Reagan, but but for you know like, like yeah sure there's a thousand people who there's a thousand like early eighties you know, hardcore kids who hate Reagan, 
And there's a thousand and one reasons why. And it's the reasons why that are kind of interesting, not right. the fact that they hate Reagan. Because, like, I mean, back to your – so back to your point, like, in that beginning, it was like Vic Bondi saying hardcore was one thing. Keith Moore saying it was another thing. Ian saying it was something else. Like, they all had their different ideas. I would have also loved that movie of just, like – yeah. Just ask them the question, what is hard? Like, <laughs> what is it and why is it? Yeah. Do not answer any other fucking question and then just go through a litany of people having them just answer that question. I would watch you It know. would be like that state sketch when they do the, the art talk. And they, <laughs> I don't they, this one. It's like, it's an unbelievably long setup. And they basically go like, you know, today we oh, discuss right. yeah, art. Yeah. And they go through like the five different people and their credits. And then they are one question. What is art? And then David <laughs> Wade takes a second. He goes, like paintings and stuff. Right. Dear. Yes. Good night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like, I mean, that's, I mean, but, but a lot of these answers, like they're talking and talking and talking. But kind of what they're saying is like paintings and stuff. Like sometimes right. you don't get the insight. And I think it's also a big it's not an issue with the documentary. It's an issue that I think we've talked about uh, as friends outside of this and talking about these documentaries is just like the amount of these guys just sound like 10-year-olds still. Like it's like this 10-year-old view of punk in the world and just like anger and like I'm I keep waiting for the footage to go a little bit longer and them to be like, yeah, and then I realized that, I don't know, I kind of needed to chill on this one thing. And, like, you know, and then I was legitimately angry about this, but I also have some issues. And I'm working on them. And the world's not great. But, Jesus Christ, like, I'm still yelling about, like, in the fucking normos, and you got fucking man. Like, you're like, whoa. I'm thinking of, like, Ian, Keith Morris, and Vic Bondi in the beginning. And they vacillate between, like, we're not them, we're not them, we're not them, we're not them. And it's so much negative framing. Um, and it's, that's, like, a really notable way to think about things when these guys were making, like, you know, angry music. But they were making music. They were doing something, you know? I feel like to, to be so productive and, and, and doing really cool things, things that deeply matter to me, but to be so stuck in negative framing of the, of the thing, like... For the reflection that they're able to do on it or that they produce for us to be framed so negative, it's going to sound childish because they aren't – it's because you're not in a place to because, – because what happens when you start – and this uh, something I want to talk about with you guys. When you start framing it positively, like Brian Baker starts framing it positively at the end of that beginning when he's like talking about DIY networks. Mm-hmm. Right. And – which it sounds in, – in one sense, it feels like a relief to be like, gosh, here's a guy who's talking about it like in positive terms. But then the problem is it starts to sound like network theory and, and viral marketing. All these guys in the beginning of this movie, when they're doing, oh, we were fucking against this, against Fleetwood Mac. It's like, dude, who fucking cares about Fleetwood Mac? You know, like – and all this negative framing, all this negative framing, they have to live our way. You got to reject this shit. It's like, not that hard. Just don't listen to Fleetwood Mac. You know, like that's not what the thing was. That's not what got the thing moving. The negativity 
was an impetus, but that's not what, that's not the engine, right? Like negativity was part of it, but there was something positive being produced. But then the minute someone tries to produce the positive kind of discourse, which is Brian Baker, he goes into network theory and DIY networks. And all of a sudden it's very hard for these guys who I think have the right impulse to not want to go down that road. They don't want to go with Dave Smalley and just sound like business bros. So they're stuck, right? You're stuck unless you've got the language to talk about this in a really deep way. You're stuck between your negative framing, which is always important. That's like the critical. That's the first step of critical thinking. And on the other end, business bro talk. So there's it's like they're stuck in this juvenile dialogue about the, that. That's that, that's how I read it. That's part of hardcore. Yeah, I do. Th- I agree. Like I think part of it is. I think partly because we're a world and a people that want just, like, kind of simple answers. Like, we want just, like, here's the straight answer. And a business bro is going to give that straight answer of just, like, dude, you can just look at the metrics. Like, it's just how it worked. Now, not that I'm there, but as I get older, but I'm actually trying to work on myself. And as my old therapist used to say, like, I'm trying to grow up, not just get older. Like, these are a bunch of guys who just got older. Like, and, and you know, the... uh, uh, reacting with anger i get that that is an intricate part of hardcore uh that is an intricate part of my day-to-day life but it's also the easiest emotion uh and it's 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 much easier to define yourself by what you are not than to have to actually be like okay so if you're not all that what are you and it's like well, i don't know i drank a lot of beer and i hung out at the church and I saw black flat. Like, it's like if you haven't really thought about that and, like, if you haven't moved past that and it's just like some of these guys reeked of that. Oh, this one's for you, Matt. It's like when you're reading Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. Oh, <laughs> but there are a lot of moments in that where I'm like, oh, you haven't done enough of the right work mentally. Like, you're, you're, you're juvenile in this version of sexuality, etc. And that's what just right. comes across where it's just like, great. I, I now I know what you all were against when you were sixteen and seventeen. You're older than I am now, and I'm old as dirt. So, like, figure out the next step. <laughs> like, you know. And I think it depends who you talk to. Obviously, like, you know, Ian and Keith Morris have made a living off of this, so it's right. like it's worked for them. It doesn't mean that they've moved forward necessarily. I don't think I know enough about Keith Morris, but. In terms of Ian, like he, he is playing a role. You mean your pen pal? My pen pal, Keith Morris. Um, <laughs> no, I was about Ian McConnell. Oh, oh yes. Um, you know, so I think it's worked for him, and and he he's made a life out of it. But he's obviously, I I'd imagine, pretty stubborn and set in his ways for that to work. You know, like. Well, I think we know that. Too. I mean, even from bands that we are were in our world, we've got like you know. Friends who still do stuff, friends who are still mentally involved, and then friends or people we knew who are just like completely checked out and just can't. And like, and and every once in a while, you're like, "Whoa, there's like a like a bitterness that I just like yeah, I didn't right. know was going to be coming up in this kind of you know benign conversation." As you said, Pete, you have like Ian, Keith Morris, Brian Baker, like they are making careers out of this, and then there are other guys who are. Uh, still like a weird like legend to some people, but you're like, what the fuck is going on in your life? And then there are definitely bands who it's just like, oh right, you're just talking about yeah. your high school band. 
Like, not even your college band, your high school bands. Like, you've, it's been like 30 years. You, you listen to these records now and then. Like, and I get it. Like, you know, you're like talking about your shit you did when you're 17 years old. Um, I, I, I feel uh, more leniency when it's those dudes. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally, I, I totally agree with that because what I wanted to say when you guys were talking, like, I might have given the wrong impression that, like, right. when I say these guys are kind of like stuck between the places, you know, like stuck between, the, like, kind of the negative framing that kind of defines a lot of these kind of talking head things. And what occurs when you start to talk about it in positive terms, which is it starts to sound like everything that you are against. I find that to be a relatable place in many ways. And not that, you know, like, and it's almost like I, I don't want to be stuck in that place, but I appreciate, I can, I have an appreciation, not appreciate. I, I can, I can empathize with someone who is because it's kind of like that honest outlaw kind of mentality, right? Like you, you can't live in this space, but I give you credit for trying. So what you're saying is like, yeah, you, it's hard to stomach the kind of like angst from the people who do it professionally because like in one way you've already ironed it out in your fucking life just iron it out in your talk you know like those those people who've kind of like given up the music or like they idealize that period of their life in some way like yeah it's hard because because they're probably legitimately stuck between the negative framing and the positive bullshit you know what i mean that's like normal america yeah like that's just like yeah i get it man you got a mortgage and you're probably not getting enough money, like, to cover your bills, and life is tough, and your kids got to get braces, and you're thinking about when you could just play shows, right. like, sort of thing. Like, you know, like... The world sucks. Uh, you, the world yeah. sucks. Um, you made music about the way the world sucks. It's st- the world still sucks, even though you're not in high school anymore. Yeah, you didn't um, solve it. Yeah, you didn't solve it. Um, and so, like, how do you actually get out of that? How do you get out of that loop, you know? Like, because, like, the problem hasn't gone away. Um, and so if the problem hasn't gone away and you still see the problem in the, you still see these problems in the world, then how does your music, I mean, like, how does your, how does your music and your aesthetic kind of discourse evolve past the thing that initially defined your aesthetic point of view? I mean, just thinking musically, like in that kind of era of dude, but also we've got our own era of dude who does this as well. Like that reverence for like garage rock and being like nah man the trogs was like the first punk like sort of thing so it's like there is like somehow they heard this translate to this although you know going in the structure of this like (laughs) it it, this is why i also was like maybe one we or i need to watch that hr documentary but also go into like there is just no getting around that it's just like everyone's just like yeah the bad brains i don't know they played, and it was just like, what the fuck? Uh, and there is legitimacy. Like, it's just like, they, I think, like, that's the interesting part of this doc, just to, like, kind of even connect it back to the actual doc, is, like, I kind of said it before, and you kind of said, like, there are some bands that, like, lived up to and some bands that didn't. There are, like, some bands that you're like, yeah, I mean, that just is, like, a hardcore band. I get it. Like, maybe just you hadn't seen something that Which much. Which is what but, like, is that? But, uh... There was no getting around that, like, you watch that footage of Bad Braids, and it's insane. Like, I mean, insane. Like, I mean, like, they are, like, they are maybe the only one in the entire thing that lives up to literally what everyone says about them. 
it goes against my argument of like why do we have to even cover some of these bands but it's like while i was watching i was just like god gee, minor threat really was fucking great like they're really good live like and i appreciate i think that's actually right yeah same same uh one of the healthier things like ian actually said it's confusing with Ian McKay because, like, the whole time I'd be like, you're actually still one of the guys who, like, I relate to the most when you're talking. But still, I'm like, what are your – your Ianisms are crazy. Yeah. But when he was just like, we were a good band. Like, did you see those guys? Like, they were really good. And I'm like, yeah, they are. Like, thank you for not – for being the one punk who's unashamed. Like, and not being like, oh, sorry, you have to deal with our band. Um, no, I was going to say, I, I think along with that, I think the more, it's probably similar to, like, what you were saying, Jeff, about Ramones and Clash and uh, and the Sex Pistols. It's like, if it's always, it's like the Dave Grohl effect. Like, the more these bands are always in it, I'm kind of like, it's either one, okay, I already know the story, or two, I'm like, do I like these people anymore? And which which then gets into what came up yeah. with this in this movie for me was kind of like, am I going to stop liking the more the way I see the sausage is made and I know who's in the band? I'm like, oh, do I yeah. like the band anymore? Uh, it it gets a little bit hard sometimes. You said Jeff, like, oh, Ian was unashamed, you know, like when he said like we're a great band, like yeah, but that cuts both ways because like we could just kind of get into some specifics if we want to with the movie, like. Like him, when Ian, I think this is maybe one of the things you were alluding to, Pete, like when he defends guilty of being white, like unabashedly, it's embarrassing. Like it's just straight embarrassing. What I would love to hear him say, like, what is racism? Like what, what where's power in racism? Like, um, where, like, I mean, he doesn't have an idea of like, it, it's really fucking cringe. Like I, I, I forgot. I think I blanked it out. It's really bad. Yeah, I like, kind of forgotten that it's part. It's always been embarrassing. Like I, this, it was like watching it. It was embarrassing in 2006. It's like such a... Uh, uh, it's such an Ianism. Like, not only just defending guilty of being white, but being that kind of... Like, I stand behind all my lyrics. I, yeah, just obstinate is the word. Because I'm like, I know you're not dumb. Right. Like, there's a version of... Like, there's a version of this where even in 2006... You could have been like, yeah, I, I mean, I was 16. Like, this is why, like, because, again, guilty of being white. Like, I get it, man. Like, I know why he wrote it. Because he's a young kid. And he was in uh, primarily African-American school. And he, like, it, you know, it's it's his version of Don't Call Me White by No Effects. Like, you know what I mean? Where it's just, like, not the most nuanced take. Like, sort of thing. And all I could think was, like, well, I, I, I would, I would kind of love to hear his answer now. Like, where it's just... It's hard for me to watch that as a scene in a musical documentary. At that point, it's not a musical documentary. It's a character study. You know, like, and it's just, like, why... And especially with the context of everything else that he does. Like, why do you need to defend that? It's just, it's just so, so strange. I, for me, I think sometimes with Guilty of Being White... I'm like, man, I want to I want you to be the smart one. You know what I mean? Like I want you to be oh, yeah. the yeah. <laughs> the the smart punk. Yeah. Well, like, right. you know, and not so obstinate about it. Like if that if that journalist who interviewed Trump on Axiom 
Like, I would love if, like, he was on the other side, where it's like, Ian gets the she's like, really? But that's the thing, is, like, it's what you said, like, it, that's why it feels extra disappointing. Like, I'll, oh, like, I again, I could always just go to, like, yeah, I don't know, he's 16 years old, he did the, like, I, I, I think I can see what he thought he was going for. He didn't do it right. He fucked up. But, like, his obstinance of I didn't fuck up, and actually it's the most anti-racist song... And it's hard to also have that in my brain where I'm like, unless I'm wrong on this anecdote, you released Out of Step twice and had to do, like, an addendum, essentially. You add a footnote because the rest of your band is like, we don't want to be lumped in with Straight Edge. So you do a whole nother version where you do that dumb, that spirit is like, look, man, oh, it's about drinking or playing golf or whatever. It's just a bunch of things that I don't care about. The whole world seems like so important, but like you went out of your way. You weren't so obstinate about out of step that you were like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm just going to say fuck you to rest of my, fuck this. Like, like it's a, yeah, it's, it, it disappoints me that you don't seem to understand. Yeah. You don't understand what racism is like and, and, and what power is and that you can, you can regret things, regret, like regrets, like a completely kind of acceptable, worthwhile emotion. And, it's and, maybe one of the one moments where Ian McKay completely doesn't come across as like, he's grown up. He just, he got older. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's kind of why I asked, I, like, I, it's the least empathetic, it's one of the least empathetic versions of the person, you know, who's trapped in that state because he's made it. Because he's like, you know, I'm not expecting more out of the TSOL singer. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. He says some fucked up shit about, I go, where I was just like, I think I might start zoning out. And then all of a sudden I was like, did he just say, talk about raping a girl? Like, I, what was he, he talking about? That part was insane. Yeah. He said, he said, I was violent, uh, robbing, grave digging, rapist. It was just part of my world. I was like, what is ha- happening? And then he, did he talk about pissing in a girl's face too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe he was being serious. It was said so casually. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, are you this, you, you're not this kind of monster. Yeah. I just think I, I, you, you, you hope that there was something on the cutting room floor on one end or the other, like that was like, put that into context. Cause I think that's another, th- I mean, it also a little bit speaks to the structure of the whole movie. If you're hitting on so much stuff, like, it's it's not it really like gets thrown in there and when it's a band that i as someone who like when i watched it had been into heart like been listening to punk and hardcore for like what 10 15 years at that point and then never really listened to tsol still and had no relationship (laughs) you're just like okay i guess but yeah the bar the bar is low i agree it's kind of like especially you know when I heard Minor Threat or, or Fugazi, it was like I was young and impressionable. And so I sort of held him in this sort of like regard of kind of like, you know, he was setting, paving the way of kind of like what punk and hardcore was. The antithesis is mugger to, to the Ian character, right? Like yes. it is like straight up. <laughs> so speak of your screen name on our Zoom. Uh, mugger. <laughs> Coming soon to uh, Instagram near you. Yeah. <laughs> technology <laughs> hound so let's just talk <laughs> there we go for our listener Matt has his toes talk is off. out he's got a 
got a weird goblet all of a sudden. <laughs> That's <odd. laughs> Frosted tips. Oh, he took your hat off. Did realize. <laughs> the thing, so the thing about Mugger, and if we don't know, Mugger was Black Flag's roadie. Uh, and also the singer of, mm, not going to say the bad name. Uh, <laughs> let's just say it's something heist. Uh, it wasn't ever a cool name. Uh, they were like the joke bands. Uh, but I was so happy. Like, I exclaimed out loud. Like, my wife wasn't watching, but sitting next to me. And I was like, that's Mugger? Because I didn't realize it was Mugger. And I had just reread Get in the Van. And the whole time you're reading Get in the Van, like, I kept going to, like, Google and being like, who the fuck is Mugger? Like, what is this guy's deal? What does he look like? Because the mugger stories are the most insane stories in Get in the Van. And then he feels more insane after listening to him talk. He's American Psycho. Like, yeah. I mean, that's how he reads, He's right? He's Patrick Bateman, 100%. He reads as Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Um, like, he has a sociopath smile. I'm sure he's a wonderful man. <laughs> but he has maybe. that kind of... The, he has that Patrick Bateman smile. Yeah, maybe not so much. But Who knows? I, yeah, I'm trying to even think what I would say about Mugger. Besides just like every step of the way, I was slightly just shocked by his story. When I was watching that part of the movie, that sort of presented another sort of, I don't know, uh, a piece of, of hardcore and punk was that like... All right, there was the the people against the government. There was the people who felt disenfranchised, um, who felt like they didn't fit in. And then you had this turn, and I don't know if this was really why this band existed. I'm not sure. But it felt like punk was too serious, so we're going to be – we're going to push it back. In the ways of like a – you know, like you see, you know, Arabon Radar or you see – Trying to oxes. think of who else would fit into that. <laughs> just sort go of. to split. Yeah, oxes like <laughs> bands. Yeah, bands that yeah. are just going to mess with the audience. Uh, but this, yeah, I don't know. Everything I've read, obviously, I've not seen this band. You see, uh, again, we talked about it before. I think seeing offensive. that little clip of heist, black heist, fills in the gaps <laughs> of what they are. They reminded me of yeah, uh, toilet seat base band. From Chicago, right? Okay. Whatever the fuck that yep. band name was. I could see that. It all goes back Everything to Chicago. Everything goes back to Chicago, yes. Um, but I can't remember what they're called. I do think that is its own subgenre of punk. Yes. That's like like shock punk, maybe. And I think the like the what how you said it, the we take uh oh, this scene takes itself too seriously. We gotta have fun with it. Maybe this kind of connects to comedy too. Like you have the comedians who take it to a next level where it's like, oh, this feels very offensive. Uh, and so it's like, I'm thinking of like a Jezelneck. You know, like, so is that like we're being too sensitive when he's telling these jokes? and Or is it like, this is very offensive and I shouldn't be laughing at this? You know, like, and so is that what that band was going for? Uh, Are they very smart? Or it's like, ooh, this is not. I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I am putting on my sketch teacher cap of, you know, eight to ten years of teaching sketch comedy. I think when it, it, the uh, blank heist student, it's a real 50 fit. Well, no, there's maybe three types. Or like there's Dice like, Clay, too, right? Like, he would fit into that. Sure. There's like, so there's like the students who are like Jeselnik, maybe. Like, I think Jeselnik, work, I, I really like Anthony Jeselnik. 
uh, I think he's very uh, a super intellectualized version of what he is doing. He is very well aware of what he is doing. Right. Like he has a a thing behind it. Uh, 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 more often than not, and this is what I think Blank Heist was to me and always was, but they are the student. Like it's like the students who are just like, what? I can't. You're going to try to censor me? I can't do this? And it's like, well, no, actually, it's you can't, but not because you can't do that. It's like you're not good at doing it. Like, you don't have the tools. I don't think that's what Blank <laughs> Heist was. Like, I think they're just, like, a fuck-around band. Uh, uh, and they're a juvenile and using a racial slur in their name. Uh I don't know if, if if it seems the trajectory of Mugger. I think he's just a weird guy. Versus Dave Brocky, like Dave Brock, like no matter what anyone thinks of Guar, like Guar was a fucking art project and a thought out thing. You know what they are doing with their satire, and they do offensive things, but that's part of their deal. I think I think Blank Heist was, or they're yeah. just a fucker. There's no man. tell. I think they just wanted to make some extra money. Uh, uh, all we hear about from Black Flag is that they, after all of this work and this kind of, Mm -hmm. in retrospect, maybe stupid work ethic, like, there's no reason for them to be practicing as much as they talk about. Um, they're awesome, Black Flag, but, like, that, that, that's a different psychosis that was happening in all of them. Um, I think they just wanted to make some more money because they were starving, because... Rollins loves to talk about how you have to eat a Snickers bar and then fake that you... I read that story. That's part oh, of the weird goodness. part that happens in American Hardcore. Is like, I'm pretty sure I read that story and get in the van. Like, and so that's why it seems familiar. Like, that is like, oh, you get a Snickers, you have to wipe that chocolate off because I'm like, where'd you get money? And blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> I, but Mugger investing in technology? Confusing <laughs> to me. I don't know. I mean... This that's the world of finance and people and bros who I'm just like, what does that mean? Like, what did he do? <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I like Mike Watches coming and being like, he's a genius. <laughs> did Mike Watch? Was he ever on uh, Marin? Uh, like, I just feel like the two of them together would be a wild ride. I don't know. He, like, I it's don't just, know if he was because Mike Watch is such a cartoon, like in a fun <laughs> way. Uh, uh, even though Minuteman is a band I appreciate and don't yeah, really same. like. Same. Um, but yeah, I tried. Same. <laughs> Sorry, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> Put him in the top just weights category. But uh, yeah, I just can't do it either. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Mike Watt thinks he's a genius. Mugger might be a genius. I mean, I don't know. Is he a genius, Matt? I don't, I, I don't think so. I think people use that. People throw that term around. I think I don't think the band's. A, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no tell with his band. You know, like to let you know that they're. To, to let you know that they're, they're satire or they're doing commentary, it's just it's like Jeff says, it's it's just been bad taste. And not he fits the band's in this bad movie in like a kind of an intro. He's like a refreshing, by. refreshing in the sense that like he's the guy who got out, and then you look at the guy who got out, and there's some sense of relief that that oppression isn't there. That kind of like emotional oppression isn't like very. You know, he's smiling for Christ's sake, but then you then you think about it and you're like. Well, he's only if that's what he's it, only if, one. If that's what if that's what it's if that's what getting out is good for. <laughs> I'm going to dive right back in. If I was being if I was being positive or trying to think like beyond the goblet of I'm assuming wine he was drinking there there could be some version of mugger that is like a recovery guy. Yeah. Like it's like a little bit of that vibe of just like man, yeah, I was in a bad 
place. Yeah, yeah for sure. Like, yeah, uh, I was doing this band called Black Heist. <laughs> like, oof. Like, well, I, think it was he was, I, I think he was homeless uh, and, prior to... Right. And then was living he in was. the... I don't know if it was a SST warehouse or office or whatever it was. Uh, so he clearly had some trauma, rough life prior to this. For sure. But yeah. And it is a success story, right? Like it's, it's, a, it's yeah. like there's a confidence that shines through in, in like and, and a cavalierness that is, um, that is not common. In the, in the, you know, like it comes in his success and it comes in the band, like this kind of cavalier attitude, which those are both tied together and in sharp contrast to like 95% of the people. Yeah, I mean, at least what we're getting in the footage, we're getting that he's not doing like, it's dead and fuck the world. And like, I've never gotten better. One would imagine he doesn't no. give a shit. Because I honestly, right? like, even... If he listened to us talk about Blank Heist, he'd just be like, yeah, I mean, I was homeless, man. <laughs> like, I mean, I was wild. Like, I mean, like, I, I've lived a life. Like, I don't, I'm not going to be stressed about you talking about this. <laughs> Which sure. is honestly yeah. the yeah, yeah, opposite yeah. of fucking Ian, where it's like Ian in his coolness and obstinance just shows a stress to me. You know what? An offensive, like uh, the guy. Maybe the guy from TSOL is like Bill Burr, but I like Bill Burr. I don't think he just because like I Bill was... Burr is just kind of like living. But that TSOL guy, like I think he's just walking around, just like being like, I don't know, man. I, I, I... maybe he's not Bill Burr. I don't like. This yeah, I don't know if he's either. Bill Burr. I looked, I looked him up, and and a, what I found is it's he at some point he married a sixteen year old girl. Uh, so okay, he's, he's just a turd. He's got some, yeah, he's got some demons as well. <laughs> Yeah, never mind. Fuck TSOL. Like, I don't care if Whoa. they're important or not. I've never listened to that much, and now I'm like, who cares, man? I don't. I, there's Do you, plenty other music. Wait, did they were they married when they made this movie? Uh, no, I did, think that was. Did you know? Uh, it doesn't say what year. Oh, that's wild. We think those were her salmon colored sweatpants that he was wearing. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it was her gas shirt. <laughs> salmon salmon colored velour sweatpants and a black gas station like rockabilly shirt with flip flops, right? Yeah. A lot of flip flops. Yeah. And that's up, not man. even the most offensive thing that I learned about him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Speaking of talking heads, this is just something I also was realizing watching this. Uh, I mean, we got him in decline, but like, does is like Dukowski just like bowed out of talking and he did like a tour a couple. Then he do a tour and a show with like he's in a band with his like partner and their kid and their kids. Okay, so he's like he he's like he's he's active in music. But maybe this this kind of thing is just not his thing. I mean, which would I mean, I would get that. Like, it's a little bit yeah. like he. It, it was actually a shock when he showed up. I realize as we watch more and more of him, and whenever Black Flag comes up, I'm like, that's who I want to hear. Uh, and I certainly don't. I, I mean, still, I still have a soft spot in my heart for Rollins, but I don't really need to hear Rollins say almost anything anymore. Well, like, you I mean, know I, it. You know it. Like, you know what the thing right. is. We know the routine down pat. It's like, uh, but like, Greg Ginn, I'm just like, I can't watch him without just being like, what is your deal? He's He's not. Like, what is mentally wrong with you? Like, in that, I'll say that story, and I think they did bring it up and get in the van, but like. 
that's the parts that got closest to and here's actually something i'm realizing how crazy we are two hours in this is the thing (laughs) that maybe is missing at this one of the reasons I love oral histories is because it is the closest you're going to get most times to a reality in that you're hoping for uh, uh, maybe two sides, if not three or four, of the same story. Yeah. Where it's not just been rewritten, rewritten. Uh, it's why I always like like the oral histories and Decibel because I'll just be like, oh, Cannibal Corpse sound like normal human beings. Uh, and they're just like, no, that didn't happen. This happened. Uh and there's a little bit that you get uh, with that story of Rollins being like, yeah, Greg called me. And it's just like, I'm quitting <laughs> right, Black Flag. <laughs> and he's like, you are Black Flag. You can't quit. And even his version when he goes to say, Greg Ginn is like, not saying that exactly. And the truth probably lies in between there. Greg Ginn is a person who... The more he gets interviewed, the less you understand about He's so it. flat. It's like, it's just everything is like, just matter of fact. It's like, okay. Again, <laughs> interview we, we want is not the one where they're asking him the same 15 fucking questions. Right. But yeah. all of these things cover the Greg in interview. What you want to like, he, he probably has like all these things where like, you can't ask him about his brother and all this stuff. But like the, the, the interview you want is like. What did you do yesterday? Yeah, right. <laughs> like seriously, like what did like what is a day? What What's is a your day, day in the life of Craig Ginn? <laughs> but you couldn't even ask it that way because he would suss out what you're like. Right. I mean, that you were just like you just wouldn't be like, what you what you have for lunch yesterday? Yeah, yeah. And then just see where it goes. Are you a two percent Greek yogurt guy, or you go five percent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of flat affect, Des Des uh, from Black uh-huh. Flag was was he the weirdest? Uh, Shocking. Was he the weird again? I think he's like the son of a famous producer or some shit like that. Like, right? He was wearing. I mean, he was in a suit. Yeah. Um, very flat affect. The suit had all three buttons buttoned, which was a very <laughs> odd choice. This is uh, and that's was that uh, doesn't he only come in once? Yeah. It's just literally. You're just like by the time he's done talking, you're like, was that Des? <laughs> yeah, and it was framed from black flag. <laughs> Versus like the guy from Misfits in the Undead who is like great lighting like, in that backlighting there. I mean, I read that I guess like most of these interviews were done in like the filmmaker and the director and the writer's apartment, so they just had to pick different spots. Which I appreciate oh. that they did uh, do that. I like that that it's like not in the same room over and over, but probably could have spent a little well, bit more yeah, time. Well, yeah, but lighting. also like yeah, there's no way you you can't notice. That that guy is like, I mean, unless they pick that because you're like, you're in the Misfits and the Undead. Like, but, like, I mean, he's just like washed out, completely gone. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think here's something, though, I'm thinking in Talking Heads, like, the weirdness of, it's always the weirdness in these documentaries. Because, yes, they were covering a certain time period. And then you've got all the old guys, and we've gone over that of, like, they're saying, like, hardcore was dead. It stopped after that. Mm-hmm. And we know that's not true. Like, we know that, like, yes, for them, like, they, most of them became, you know, if they were a band, they did the Boston route of becoming a rock band. Or, like you said, Matt, it's like there was kind of the morphing into the am reppy, like, touch and go, Chicago y stuff. But then there was always the rev stuff going, like, there was the New York hardcore scene. But I think that's also, like, brought out is, like, stigma is stigma. Like, 
Jimmy Gestapo is Jimmy Gestapo. <laughs> like, yeah. they were there then. They continued to be there. They kind of, like, some people like, kind of had, like, a semi-talking down of the New York hardcore scene. Like, you know, but, like, also fit in my brain in the category of, like, all right, your weird version of, like, is the same as your weird version of metal. Where it's, like, almost like, ugh, they were, like, too dumb and working class to realize that they should stop and get bitter about it. And, like, be angry that they stopped their high school band. Because I'm just like, again, like, watching them, I'm like, Murphy's Law has literally never stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> Agnostic Front has literally never stopped. It's it's hard for me to not hear the mental illness when someone's not hearing someone saying, the minute I stopped going to shows is when it stopped. There's no way that I would say, yeah, it's, it's like, no, I bet you there's bands and scenes that are going on that I don't know about. Like, are you crazy? Like, are you insane thinking that I would think that? And it comes up all the time. It feels like it comes up as we watch the documentaries. It came up in that Chicago one. But just as like, I'm like, are you so clueless about how the world works? Because it feels sad to me watching whoever the guy was at this second to last end. Not the guy right at the end who did suck too. Like, whatever. But it was just like, it's like I'll be the one to say it. Fucking hardcore is dead, man. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it just because you got old. Like, it kept going. First, it would be kind of a cool movie to see the bands. You know, now we're like in the phase of this thing where we're like proposing the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, as an aside, I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about Harley Flanagan, but like one of his kind of little clips was very scary. And then another one was very insightful and like kind of wonderfully said. And it was like... Uh, it's just pretty awesome. Like, pretty awesome to get that combination. It's the summary of why Harley is so important yeah. in our lives. But, <laughs> so you have the you have the bad brains. You got the, all the guys from New York, and then you've got like, is it? Does, am I like like hallucinating that Kevin Seconds is in this like real short? Yeah, quickly in the it. beginning of he it, he is because I think I wrote Happy 60th Birthday <laughs> yeah. to Kevin Seconds in my notes because his birthday yeah. was like a yeah, couple days ago. Minute. That shows you when we're recording this. Yeah. He's going to stay young until at least 60. <laughs> but all of it, like, I mean, for an important guy who's not in it, like, those are guys, those are bands that stuck out, like, those are bands and scenes yeah. that stuck it out through the mid-80s. And it would just be, in, yeah. and they came off as, like, very different, you know, like, in their energy. And it'd be kind of, like, interesting to, like, hear more about what they had to say about the late 80s and shit like that. Well, that docu, I would love a docu, I mean, it's a little bit in a version of, like, like my Mike Pace from Worst Gig Ever, like he's like a guaranteed to, like he like Technical Ecstasy is his favorite Black Sabbath record, <laughs> like sort of thing. <laughs> Come on. Like and he's not really say. I mean, but like that, like he'll like that's like his bread and butter is fighting the spot where it's like we all gave up on them, but this is actually where it gets going. interesting, sort of thing. And that's partly our love of Genesis together. Like, is like that we could embrace all these mm. elements that were like, no, you thought that was not good, but they're great there. But I would kill for that documentary. The, like, the fucking, the essentially called, like, the downtime or something. <laughs> like, right. you know, the downslope. Like, how they survive. I mean, they touch upon it. They touch upon it with the gangrene guy. Like, and then people were, like, both, like, half, the guy from the mob was, like, half angry at gangrene. But also we're like, they're the perfect band reaction. to be a crossover band and have like, and end of the day, as I get older, I think my appreciation of getting green grows. Like where I'm just like, musically, they're pretty good. 
And also, like, they fucking... Yeah. D- yeah. DRI. DRI. Too. I mean, Jerry's and, kids and, and sounded corrosion. so good in there. I just want to do the little barrage of, like, who was great. And I'm just remembering that little bit of Jerry's kids yeah, footage. Yeah, that was really good. Again, from that Boston doc, we all were like, Jerry's kids are awesome. Uh, but they didn't... Right. I mean, yeah. that was the bummer about the Boston one was, like, Gang Green wasn't even really touched upon much. Right. And honestly, I'd rather yeah. listen to that guy because every time he's just going to be like, the guy from Gang Green is like dudes from Bad Brains and is like Vinny Stigma. Like, not that, I just think they're all like, I in Harley. Like, I'd love to listen to all of them talk for like five hours at a time. Like, like or it's just to like. Put like a spin on it. Like, Harley Flanagan comes off as like really interesting guy here who made one of like the toughest hardcore records like around and it just seems like one of the toughest dudes <laughs> around can but he has like grace notes in his in his like in, in like and like his like there's like moments of like like profound illumination and just the way he's <laughs> talking about shit it's really why it's like i wanted to go back maybe i don't know if we have anything else to say but kind of at the towards the end think about that point that you brought up jeff because we've just been talking about a bunch of guys who didn't get into the it's over kind of routine what what do you think compels these guys these guys know they must know that there are other bands besides green day so why what is the compulsion i mean we're not really talking about the movie here but we are because again this is part like if if this movie what it tries to do is build a vision of this like it tries to build a canon a central tenet of the canon is you weren't there. We're the elder statesmen. Do they think – I mean like maybe one way of just asking the question is do they think that they're talking to non-hardcore fans? Do they think they're talking to people who only listen to the old records? Like because those are the only two – those are the only two options if they truly believe there's no hardcore anymore. Yeah, I didn't think about that piece about you know do they think they're talking to like a general viewer. That never really crossed my mind. I feel like they're sort of – you know, I think it's like that guy had put it like they're feeling probably left out, like their band didn't make it. And some of these bands, like I mean, you see all these bands reuniting because I think you think you could have a chance chance to spark it again, and and it's easier now with the right. internet that like you can get the word out. But that doesn't necessarily mean there's also like a reason to do that. You know, it's like it's the same as like one and Jeff, you probably had this too, like. You'd go play in some town that you probably had no business in playing, and some kid thought like I should do a show for this band because I like them, but it doesn't gonna bring people out. Like I remember us playing Arizona, and that nobody flyered the show. Nobody can't. The show didn't even happen. But like some kid on a message board wanted to do a show for us, and we were traveling through, so it's like I should do it. Uh, but there's no reason that we needed to play there. Uh, and it didn't happen. So I think there's, I think there's that of kind of like, you know, with the reunion stuff that it's easier. So, but I think it's for me. I feel like maybe they're stuck in time that, uh, you know, either feel left out and that should have been bigger, um, and sort of miss their chance. So it's it, it's like a sour grape. So you're saying like I'm trying to like like it's like it's a sour. I grape think so. Descent sour like, grapes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. I, at one point I was thinking, you know, is this because. Uh, you know, to your point, Matt, you were saying like, or maybe Jeff, you said it, but you know, they had to have known like hardcore didn't just end. Um, obviously, like they didn't have the internet to know kind of like what other bands were out and how prevalent it could have been in other places. Like, you know, if you were a band from Texas, you may not have known what was going on in California necessarily. Right. Uh, but I don't think that was it. You know, I think like people 
just like today, you know, like get interested in other things. And we've all known kids who were like really into shows and record collectors. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, next day they're not doing Stabbed it. You us know, in like the back. we got, you know, Tim, yeah. Tim Sold Spoon, out the scene. you know, he's like record collector, yeah, exactly. vegan. Next week he's buying chicken wings and giving you all his records. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden, I'm getting nuclear just, assault uh, <laughs> records. It's great. And then he's disappears off yep. the face of the Exactly. Earth. I mean, I do think it's just like anything. Like, there is obviously isn't the one answer. I think there's multi-layer. I think even for each of these people, there's multiple levels. But, yeah, I do think it's a lot of sour grapes. I do think it's a lot of, uh, you know, guys who beyond even music, like, didn't think that they got their fair shake. Um, and have regrets about not playing music anymore or whatever variation, but can't admit that to themselves. Um, and if they're, you know, I think it's also thinking of the time, uh, you know, if this is a 2006 documentary, but also they've been interviewing for five years. So you've been picking up people 2000 to 2005, 2004, like 1999, maybe even if we're going back, depending on how long it edited, uh, you know, you've got guys at different times of their lives, but also a lot more. Um, you know, you've got you've got a lot more people at that time who don't know how to be interviewed about the thing that they did, that are also coming into conflict with. We've talked about we've talked about how like we've almost heard Rollins' stories too much. Like we know his deal, we know Keith Morris's deal, we know Brian Baker's deal. Like, we've never heard the middle class guys, and it's possible they've never talked to anyone else about this. Like, you know, they've, it, it's, it's, at that point, we don't even have podcasts. We don't have people who are, you know, don't realize how uncomfortable it is to talk on, you know, so sometimes all of a sudden, it's also, honestly, a lot of guys who probably, we've said it, but like have no therapy, and all of a sudden they're on a camera, and it's like the fucking, you know, they knocked the cap off. So all of a sudden you got people freaking out and they're just like, whoa, you are really, maybe you didn't realize how angry you were that your high school band stopped, essentially. I'm sure there are a lot of people who had, who don't like the clash in a different way than we don't. Like, you know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think, I think that last point's pretty interesting. Like, this idea that like the, the sense of injustice that someone else made it and they didn't. They talk about Pay to Come, the Bad Brains EP, the original pressing of it. There were a thousand. They actually only made a 500 of them. So this is the band, like you said before, Jeff, that everyone talks about as like life-changing. And this movie really does set it up. And right. I think um, the Williams, the, the producer guy from New York, basically says this is the Bad Brains music. Like everything that you're seeing in this is the Bad Brains. And... It's kind of hard to argue with that um, and and about their relevance and their not just their yeah. relevance but their, their the, the quality of the thing and this is a band whose first EP they distributed 500 copies of which is all to say the importance yeah. of these bands and then the num- the numbers of units moved are out of alignment like from from jump so you got these guys who are looking at back at that at that time and their involvement in it and they see band it doesn't so maybe they know that they're hardcore shows they must at like you know basement shows but they're maybe they're looking at themselves in comparison 
to Green Day and the bands that are big. And they're mm-hmm. seeing how many yes. mo- units those bands are moving. You know, the number thing, though, is also connected to, like, it's hard because that is an essential part of subcultures. Yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah, why yeah, they yeah, get yeah. pissy, too. It's like, you know, it's it's we've talked about this, Matt, uh, where it's like, you know, when black metal bands, like, stop being cult, and you're just like, because they put out more than 100 tapes? Like, it's like... Like, I like it's just there's a difference between like staying cult and like totally unsustainable. And then when you're like, wait, now it's like they weirdly <laughs> like, like they're too big. And you're like, you're like, you and 50 other people would be able to have this conversation. Like, it, you're in, and that's that's why you're wanting to have this conversation. You might like the music, but there is also an aesthetic quality yeah. to the scarcity. Um, uh, which I do think there's also a a, a a a commodity to that too. I think some of these guys like it's like you know this was our special little thing. This was our precious yeah, little thing. Yeah, but it's very defensive too, right? Now everyone's taking it away. Yeah, like it's very defensive. <laughs> so like rec- you were you said like you know potential is this term or untapped potential, and I was thinking like recognition as the as the you know the therapy term, right? <laughs> yeah. Like where like. Yes. The the idea. You mean every one of my sessions? <laughs> yes, I get it. <laughs> but you know, like it's almost like you mentioned the the whole cult thing. Like these guys, instead of saying, "Oh no, this isn't cult anymore," they're saying, "No, no, no, the real thing is still cult," because they didn't get because the other bands are getting. It's like, oh no, now more people know about them, so that's why they're not cult anymore. It has nothing to do with the the yeah. sound of the music exactly. or the quality of the music. It's just. They've got 101 cassettes, so that can't be right. cult anymore, right? Or like, but I can't the- believe Runzel Stern and Gurglestock <laughs> put out more than 20 of these sandpaper noise cassettes. Why I think you may uh, like well, pre- like one of the levels we appreciate black metal is a kind of like when you're you feel like there's an awareness that they are aware of the aesthetic they're creating. Yeah, like it's like I only recently stumbled upon some little tiny scene that apparently existed in brooklyn of black metal that was like a world i didn't know but it had a name and it had a labels and all these like bands connected to it and i would read these like all of a sudden i was like reading these articles with them and they were like and all that other shit and like this is the true stuff and it's only here right. and it's like that's the mythology you're creating a mythology and i'm i would imagine they're aware that they are doing that um uh, i hope y- you would hope because honestly it's less interesting to me if they don't like you know there's something something gets changed something feels switched up you know in in hardcore where like in the like <laughs> the, my favorite line of this movie and it's the, it should be the last thing i say is i can't remember i actually can't remember who says it but they're like a mark of a mark of kind of prestige was the less yeah. like a song it was, uh, the cooler, the better it was. Do you remember who said oh, no. that line? It was like early in the movie. It wasn't one of like the more extreme musicians, if I remember. But in that moment, it was like, yeah, here is kind of like what we're going for. You know, we're like kind of like noise, not music. We're kind of like deconstructing music. And, um, and we, but we want to spread that. Like there was a, there was kind of like that communal nature, like that spreading, like we're all doing this together. We're all just trying to kind of like work on this musical project, which is actually like a very unmusical, which, which is very unmusical. And so there was no sense of like, no, we're trying to alienate people except for like flipper and shit like that, which is, 
Yeah, which is very different at the end. What happened to that kind of like expansive spirit? So um, when we rate these movies, we don't do it on a scale of one to ten or a scale, uh, you know, indicating our um, how, how what qual like what sort of like. A- <laughs> I love that we do these so late. So by the time you have to get to explaining two and a half hours in, it is so convoluted and lost (laughs) because your brain. Yeah. Your brain is just clouded. (laughs) We're going to rate this movie. And when we rate these movies, we don't do it on a scale of one to 10 where, you know, zero is no quality. 10 is the best quality or some shit like that. No, we're not Spin Magazine. We're not Rolling Stones. Um, we rate things for their innate punkness and their hardcoreness. So we think of a metric that really gets at different ways in which a movie can be punk or hardcore. That was great. Was that, that was good, so guys? Great. Um, so thank you. And w- this is this is a special episode and a special week for our rating system because we didn't just think across the movie good. where we could have chosen thing like Dickie Barrett's collection of ties yeah. or, or we could have could have thought of things like how much Brian Baker looks like a fat ant in this movie um, all sorts of things something related of. to the bass We're, player of SSD's <laughs> clothing yeah but what we we decided to stick entirely to um, mugger so we're going to say what quality of mugger is this movie as punk as? So is this movie as punk as naming a band something unmentionable and a dirty word, an ugly word, uh, in the same way mugger did? Is this movie as punk as uh, turning ownership in SST records into tech stocks that make you independently wealthy? Or is this movie as punk as mugger's toes, which are featured prominently in his talking head scene? Or is this movie as punk as Dave Grohl? This is the tough one. I might go... Pete? I might go that this movie is as punk <laughs> as Mugger becoming independently wealthy off of SST stocks. And I think I'm going to go with that because this movie kind of goes in all different directions. And you don't really know sort of the the linear progression of hardcore at the end of it. And you could start out as a homeless person and end up independently wealthy from sleeping on the floor and owning stock in SST and becoming better for it. Or not stock. I need to clarify. SST went public. He didn't own stock in SST. (laughs) SST did not have stock. Yes, yes. He owned part of the label and he he traded, he, he turned that money into stocks. All of our talk about how we've heard these stories a billion times, Pete can't keep these facts straight. He's That's like, about Mugger's, Mugger's stock portfolio. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's good, Pete. I like that. I like that. Okay. What about you, Jeff? You want to oh, go geez. or you want me to go? No, I'll go. Mine is not as well thought out, but I'm following my gut and I'm following oh, my heart. Oh, no. Uh, and I don't know, if, no, I've, I think I don't know if I've done this rating yet before. Uh, maybe I did for the first one. Or maybe I did. This is a Dave Grohl. Yeah. yeah, I think I've done a Dave Grohl. This is another Dave Grohl. I think I did for Decline. But this just like feels like because it is uh, uh, every every turn, it goes on a long path. You're not really sure where it's going. But every single step of the way, 
I expected Dave Grohl to show up. Right. Like, I mean, literally, like, every scenario. You show me Southern California, what? Dave Grohl's not going to show up? <laughs> D.C., you're showing me Scream? Oh, he's not going to show up there? Like, out of nowhere, the Midwest? Why not? Like, he might just, like, talk about how much he loves negative approach. Uh, he wouldn't be in Boston because it would be Chris Novoselic, because he always wore that SSD shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he would have to take that one. But... Yeah, I'm going Dave Grohl because well this said. is also well just a classic. Uh, Got to have that talking head. I'm going to go also with Dave Grohl because, like Dave Grohl's appearances, this is familiar. Like, I mean, it's familiar. This this movie and <laughs> increasingly exhausting. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a good summary. That's about it. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I like it. Well um, said. I, uh, you know, we spent so much time wondering what Matt's choice was going to be. I sort of, I was relieved with his choice that I didn't even give any thought to what Jeff was well, going to well, be well. picking this week. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff has been bitching and moaning, <laughs> asking for a good one. And then he got American hardcore. Well, so. we were just worried. Matt is always, you know, as you probably all have come to know Matt over these uh, seven episodes. He's, he's a little, he's, he's our little Loki. We're just figuring he's I, probably I, trying to. Briefly thought about just like fucking with you a little bit and going with the other effort, <laughs> but I did it. Oh, and then I was gonna maybe not completely fuck around with you, but then I was like, I'll make us watch a Fat Records one <laughs> just for no particular reason. But we're not doing that. Are we doing? Well, no. Uh, I. He's gonna, he's gonna do uh, Joe Stormer buy up. Uh, That's what's happening but, here. No, I have decided to go with uh, one that actually got mentioned in this episode, uh, but I would like to watch it and reevaluate a, a scene that I am known for being a pain in the ass about. Uh, I'd like to watch Salad Days. Oh, like it. I would like to go into the DC hardcore like world it. and like I like to be a little low-key myself and fuck with people and say how much I... Don't really love a lot of those bands, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're important. And, and but I want to look at it with a fresh look, man. I'm 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 not just getting older. I'm growing up, and right. I'd like to see how that applies to Beef Eater. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Salad Days is what we're going with. I like R.I.P. it. So with that, we'll talk to you all next week. Until then, I'm Jeff Garlock, up the punks. I'm Pete Zetlin, out of step. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, yeah, well, not to next week. <laughs> oh, I guess I should have done that, too. <laughs> I'm Matt. Uh, wait, uh, I'm Jeff Garlock, <laughs> a kid who tells another kid's a dead kid. Uh, <laughs> I'm Matt all along the watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a beef eater oh, reference? No, it's a, it's a Jimi Hendrix reference. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you asshole. <laughs>